Good morning, Resound. Uh, today we are going to continue in our series on uh, 1 Corinthians. And as, as I said um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, you know, as we go through this series, we're not obviously going through a verse by verse um, uh, run through it, but we're just kind of jumping through. We're looking at different points and chapters. So you've seen that in, in each of our talks up till now. Um, we're also, because we're trying to do this between um, now and Easter, um, we're short on, uh, on time to do each chapter with uh, kind of any, um, any due diligence. So today I get the joy of actually <laughs> giving you a broad view of several chapters um, before we move on next week to uh, some a topic from chapter 9. So uh, as you may be aware, Paul spoke briefly from chapter 3 last week. So I get to go through chapters 4 through 8. Um, and so as, as is probably obvious, I won't be able to do um, uh, justice to, to each of those chapters. But I think that there's something that we can draw out from from the whole whole lot and I've got something that I want to say about that so I just want to give a, a very brief review I'm not going to read the chapters because obviously that will take take up my whole time um, so I just encourage you to read the chapters at home um, as we're going through this book you know read through the book all the way through in a sitting if you can and then as we go through each each Sunday um, you know look back at the various chapters but I'm just going to give you a review of kind of the topic of each chapter and then I want to talk a little bit about some things that I think can be drawn from that. So uh, chapter four is essentially Paul um, talking about the the nature of apostleship and specifically his apostleship, um, his leadership, what I would call community leadership because it has to do with his relationship to the community. So um Obviously, the word apostle draws a lot of, of uh, kind of implications, but in essence, it's really about uh, being a leader, a, a, uh, a community leader over the church in, in whatever form. So um, Paul talks about that and kind of gives his uh, uh, defense of his apostleship and some of his uh, authority and that kind of thing in chapter 4. Chapter 5 um, is often looked at as dealing with incest, although I think that it's not actual incest because uh, he doesn't use the word that the, the guy is sleeping with his mother. He says he's sleeping with his father's wife, but that's bad enough. So it's probably more likely to be one of his father's other wives or perhaps his, his mother has died or been divorced and, and his father has a new wife. But whatever the case, not good. Um, so that's the beginning of chapter five. Uh, and then it gets into the idea of church discipline. And I will talk a little bit about that in a bit. Um, chapter six then goes into speaking about uh, lawsuits amongst believers, uh, which I think has some implications as well. Uh, and then most of our Bibles uh, will head the second part of chapter six with the big title, Sexual Morality. And I think that's a huge disservice, disservice to the Bible because uh, sexual immorality is just two small bits of this whole list of things that Paul is talking about in this chapter. And so um, to limit it down to sexual immorality and whatever that means, we can talk about a bit about that. 
is a, a, a disservice to, to the scripture and to us as believers who are trying to be discipled through the scriptures because there's things in this, this passage uh, that I think get, a, um, get off too easily, as it were. So that's, that's chapter 6. Chapter 7 talks about marriage and singleness. Um, and then uh, also, uh, sorry, yeah, and then chapter 8 um, is about food sacrifice to idols and um, causing people to stumble, etc. So that's, that's an overview of, of the four chapters, uh, five chapters actually. Um, and so <laughs> without going verse by verse through them or even uh, trying to address each specific issue individually, which I think would take um, several uh, sermons, several talks, and and I think it would be good at some point to really go into these chapters because I think there's a lot there that we really do miss. Like I said, when when we narrow everything down, which a lot of people do these days, and just say, oh, boom, it's about sexual morality. Oh, boom, it's about this or that. Um, we really miss uh, some of the nuances of other things that Paul might be challenging us to in equal kind of uh, um, emphasis, but we've taken the emphasis away from those things and just put them on one thing, which is kind of makes us uncomfortable in, in our society. So, but again, I'm not going to touch on the specifics of those. There are two issues that I think that um, all these chapters kind of bring to light. Um, and those two issues are one, the idea of community, and two, the idea of morality. Um, and so I'm going to really just look at those two things. And then there's probably a, a, a third thing, which maybe I'll, I'll talk about if I have time. And that's kind of how we read the Bible. It will be laced through um, my discussion about the other things anyways. But um, so community. Um, Paul begins or our, our talk today begins with chapter four, where Paul is talking about his kind of position as an apostle and what that means. Uh, and that's kind of, he's, he's laying out a, def, uh, a defense of his, his leadership within the community. Um, so that brings up some questions for us because it's easy for us to spiritualize things and say, yes, Paul's an apostle, he was appointed an apostle, but what, you know, and what does church leadership look like today? I mean, I, I believe, you know, what is an apostle, what is a pastor, and all those other things that we, we see in Scripture. Um, and and I believe that to some degree or another, those things still exist, uh, although I think some of the definitions have kind of changed through time, I think, that uh, and changed through um, denomination, for example, um, in Episcopal, Catholic, um, Anglican, and that type of thing. Uh, they would say the apostle is the bishop. Um, and they talk about apostolic authority, apostolic um, succession. So a bishop can only be a bishop if he's ordained by another bishop, etc., etc. Um, whereas in charismatic circles, we often think of an apostle as somebody who has oversight, um, you know, of a lot of ministries or a lot of churches, maybe some kind of a, a we, we also would call them a father in 
in various communities and that type of thing. So there's very different definitions, but the main thing Paul is talking about is, is leadership within the community and, and what does that look like? And he's saying that it means servanthood and it means humility. Um, and, and those are hugely important. And I don't think, I think that, that church leaders will talk about those things but not always exemplify those things, if you know what I mean. I think that they, they will point to those as aspects of, of what it means to be a good leader, but I don't think that church leaders always exemplify those things. Um, and I think that's something that, that leadership in the church needs to really grasp hold of. Um, and I'm not saying that across the board because I do know quite a lot of humble um, servant leaders, um, but I, I I think a lot of the people that we will um, elevate to kind of the um, famous kind of leaders don't necessarily exemplify these things. But then there's this other thing that Paul talks about, and that's authority, spiritual authority uh, within the community. And that's a bit more difficult. And, and I think it's one of, the, one of the things I talked about how we read the Bible. Um, it's important to recognize the huge differences in culture in Paul's day and our day. And I don't just mean in culture in the sense of, of good culture, bad culture, or ancient culture versus modern culture, but just the way we see things. So for us, the idea of spiritual authority, now maybe not so much in the church, but, but in society itself, is not really a positive thing because... Um, Sadly, there's been so much abuse of spiritual authority that that's kind of become a bad word in, in society. And, and so today, we have to look at um, spiritual authority in a slightly different way because we don't just get to say, well, God gave me authority and therefore I get to tell you what to do, which, by the way, isn't humble or servanthood. Um, but we have to base our authority today on earned trust, uh, which I think is actually a better way to to, uh, to do it anyways. I mean, that that says a lot more in light of humility and servanthood than it does um, otherwise. So, um, so those of us who claim, and whether I claim it or not, but having some form of leadership within the church means I have to make decisions, etc., um, whatever kind of authority that, that I or other church leaders have has to be based on earned trust because we don't really just get to say, God told me, therefore you have to obey. Um, and that's a, I would consider that fairly abusive so, um, <laughs> or dangerous. Let's say dangerous because it might not be abusive. It might be very intentionally good, but it can be quite dangerous to, to state things in such emphatic ways. So from the from the start we're looking at how to interpret what paul is saying in his society in his day in a very different way because we don't have that same view of what authority means as they did back then um, and so we have to approach it differently um chapter five you know talks starts talk paul starts talking about church discipline and that's kind of linked with authority so um this idea of, of, well, this guy is having sex with his, his father's wife. You've got to do something about that. 
And again, we have this issue of, of a very different culture and a very different society today than they did back then. So um, in Paul's day, the church was a very tight and insular community. Um, uh, and where there was discipline or the threat of expulsion that had a lot of, um, that created a lot of incentive within the person to to repent and to mend their ways because you couldn't just leave the church and find another church. Um, the church in Corinth was the whole church in Corinth. And so um, so this idea of, of being disciplined by or expelled from the community was was really a big deal. We don't have anything like that today because if I said to somebody in our church, you know, uh, we don't like what you're doing and you need to mend your ways that that person will very likely just say Too bad. You don't like my ways. I don't like this church anymore. I'll go to the church down the road and so there's no no sense in the ability to Create the same kind of church discipline as Paul was able to do in that day because we don't have that sense of community and that's that goes back to this idea of community which I've you know, I always stress because I'm such a such a believer in community, um, that we've moved so far from a a place of of living in real community. Uh, we're much more of an individualistic society, even within the church. Even those of us who value community live so much more individualistically than than they did in Paul's day. So they really, really did understand community, and I would say all the way up until. Um, maybe two centuries centuries ago, when you know things which were much more agrarian, much more people lived within the same community their whole life. They didn't move to go find work, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So there was still much more of a tight knit community that carried some kind of sense of weight and therefore consequence when when the that community standards were breached and discipline needed to happen. So. Um, so what does that mean for us, for church discipline? I mean, that's, it's, it's a really difficult one. And I would say that the best way to approach church discipline today is to, to really have a, a strong relationship with people in the church in such a way that you approach them in love, which you should do anyways. I mean, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't even think in Paul's time that you should approach somebody um, outside of love but, but to have that relationship where you can say, you know, listen, I think that, that the thing that you're doing here is, is disruptive. Um, and, and how can we, how can we look at that? How can we repair that? Um, how can we repair the relationships that might have been damaged through, through your actions? Um, and I don't want, I don't want a break in relationship. I don't want any of that because we can't just say, be gone. And, and I wouldn't want to do that anyways. I, I know churches that have done that. And like I said, what that ends up doing is causing um, hurt and bitterness in the person who's who's kind of ejected. Um, they may just go find another church or they may in fact just, it may really damage their whole faith in Jesus. So it's, it's a process of, of loving correction and bringing back into, um, a place of wholeness and uh, I think there are very very rare circumstances where uh, where ejection from the community is important and that's where um, 
actual harm is being done, we at Resound have a really strong safeguarding policy, and that is um, completely um, unquestionable. That cannot be, uh, you know, skirted around. So, so in a, in, a, in a sense where somebody is 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 harming someone um, and is unrepentant, unwilling to to change, then then we have ways. You know, whether it's children or adults, vulnerable or not vulnerable, I would say even um, uh, we have. You know, we have to approach that seriously. And so, if there's harm being done and the person is unwilling to to change and come under some guidance, then you know we could say there would be a place for ejecting or excommunicating, whatever all that means. Um, from the community. So there is that place, but it's a very different thing than they had in Paul's day. And then chapters kind of six through eight really talk about care for the community. And and that brings us to the second uh, of the, the issues that, um, that I was talking about, and that's the idea of morality. Um, what is morality and, and how should we read morality in the scripture? So there are probably, I would say, there are two equally wrong views, and and my guess is some of us will fall on one side of these wrong views, and others of us will fall on the other side of these wrong views. Um, probably not to the extreme, although I've met Christians on both extremes. Um, the first wrong view is I would call moral absolutism, and that's where we would say God's laws are arbitrary. I mean, He says them, therefore we have to follow them. And they must be obeyed regardless of any circumstances, any changes in culture or societal life. Whatever the Bible says goes, and there's no room for for um, question or um, uh, discussion about it. Um, so that's kind of moral absolutism, and the church has had that position in in some places and some denominations more so than others, and still does. Um, although I would argue that they're not consistent with it because more churches, even churches that would claim that God's law is, is absolute, would still um, be kind of inconsistent in how they uphold that. For example, I went to a seminary that was um, part of a denomination that believed that you don't ordain women. Women have no place uh, as preachers or pastors. In fact, they would say that the, the proof of that is is Paul saying that, that he doesn't allow women to, to speak or to teach men. Um, and so that's proof from the Bible that we do not allow um, women to be pastors. However, for some reason, they can give a talk from the pulpit or teach from the pulpit or whatever whatever they use but they they simply change the word from preach to give a talk it's exactly the same thing likewise in the seminary of this denomination that i went i would leave my theology class which was taught for you know taught by the head of theology who who absolutely said that women cannot be in in roles of leadership over men and and teaching and preaching in the church. From that class, I went to my missions class, taught by the head of the missions department that was a woman. 
I don't understand. If, if women are not allowed to teach, then there shouldn't be any women teachers in the seminary. And there are some, some denominations that hold to that kind of thing very, very rigidly. So that's moral absolutism. And again, I would say that, that most churches are probably inconsistent, even if they believe in that. The other side of the, the wrong view, the other extreme, is moral relativism, in which case whatever society says is okay. So, so we have the Bible, but we live in a different society, and so um, all the things that were true back then, you know, none of that's true unless society says it's true now. And so we completely open up our idea of what morality means based on what's right in our society today. Of course, that can't hold water anyways because different societies say different things are, are right. And how can I say that, for example, marrying off a 12-year-old girl in India is not okay? I mean, their society says it's okay, so it must be okay for their society. That's moral relativism, and, and that doesn't work. But there are a lot of churches who, who have succumbed to that because of the pressures of society. So those are the two kind of ideas of morality that I think are wrongheaded. I think we, we err on both sides of that if we go to either side. I think that there's a third way, and I think it doesn't often get the, the, the view that it deserves, <laughs> which is really weird when I say it, and that's Jesus's way. Of course, Jesus is, is our Lord, and Jesus is the example um, of, of our life. But I think it's easy for us, especially within evangelical circuit circles and, and conservative evangelical circles, to kind of err towards moral absolutism. Whatever the Bible says is true, even, even if we don't hold every standard of the Bible to the same degree, because we don't, um, we'll probably err more to that side. Uh, then the more rel but then there's liberal churches that that um, probably err more to the other side. There's a third way, and that's Jesus's way, and that's Jesus, the fact that Jesus demonstrated that God's laws aren't arbitrary. So just because God said it at one point doesn't mean that it's like He said it. Therefore, we have to do it. He said it in the context of a, of, of a community and a history and a period of time and a place uh, and, and things that he was doing at that time. Um, again, that doesn't mean it just, we throw it away, but Jesus pointed out that God's law, moral law, is 100% about love for God and love for others. Um, the two laws, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he insisted that all the scriptures hang on those two things. So he said the law and prophets, by that is he meant the scriptures. And I would include the New Testament in that as well. So um, Jesus was so clear that the moral law was so utterly based on love that he, he himself freely reinterpreted the law. So in, in some cases, we see that he blatantly showed disregard uh, when it suited love, i.e., um, you know, healing on the Sabbath. And he said the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. He, he totally disregarded the Sabbath law when it suited love. 
In other cases, he raised the standard of the law and said it's actually not enough. He said that it's no longer sufficient to say don't murder or don't commit adultery. Rather, uh, even holding anger or hatred towards someone or, or looking at somebody lustfully was enough to breach the law of love. So, so for him, the, the whole idea of morality was based on, on love. And that goes back into how we care for the community and what Paul is talking about in, in these chapters, because he's not just throwing down arbitrary morality. He's saying these things are damaging, damaging to our community. And therefore, we need to, to look at these things and we need to address these things because they hurt people. And so that's not living in love. Um, lawsuits, for example. Uh, we, we look at that. And Paul, I think Paul even kind of misses the point slightly because he, he talks about, you know, how lawsuits are such a, a bad witness. But... Um, but if we're if we're suing one another, I mean, how loving is that? And 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 not just in the sense of a bad witness, but but actually, what about Jesus's teaching? Um, how if if we're suing one another, um, are we actually living Jesus's teaching that that um, we should have have a low esteem of material wealth, of self-preservation? I mean, in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about. Um, giving to everybody who asks of you, um, lending without expecting repayments. Uh, if somebody takes something that's rightfully yours, do not demand it back. If somebody strikes you one one cheek, turn to the other. I mean, where does lawsuit come into that kind of mentality when we think of others as more important than ourselves? How how can we take them to court? And we don't see this kind of thing very often in the church today, but I think it happens. It's, I mean, it certainly happens that. That Christians wrong one another and and end up taking each other to court, but but this whole idea of caring for the community and that morality is about loving one another, about making sure that that the things that we do are not impacting other people in harmful ways. So even sexual ethics, um, you can take a, a moral absolutist view of it and say that. There is only one way to do any of this stuff, and I would say that even even in a moral absolutism, um, we have to be careful about how we view some some sexual ethics. I mean, we we quickly tell people, well, um, polygamy is wrong, um, but you go to some countries where polygamy is right, and I've seen Bible teachers go and, and demand that a man would divorce all but one of his wives, which would then end up leaving the other wives in poverty and the, those children without a father. Um, so we have to be careful even in those things. Um, it's about love, and it's about caring for one another. Um, so so I think that Paul is saying through through the moral kind of implications of what he's saying that that we need to care for one another we need to love one another and he's going to get into that further and we'll talk about that further uh when we get to chapter 13 because chapter 13 is one of the the chapters of the bible i believe um uh, maybe second only to the sermon on the mount um but we'll get into more into that more so that's <laughs> a massive overview uh if if you have any questions about kind of what the implications of what I'm saying, 
any questions about, especially, and I know questions will come to your mind about morality because we've, we've, we've had this kind of view of either moral absolutism or moral relativism. Um, and, and that's one of the things that most quickly kicks up the controversy in the dust. So if you have any questions, I'm totally happy to talk to you about what I think some of these things mean. I'm also happy to say that I'm not necessarily right about it. Um, but I think if you get anything from what I'm saying, get the fact that all of it has to do with love. It has to do with how we love one another. And so these chapters are about caring for the community, how to live in community with one another, and recognizing today that we don't live in the same type of community, but we can still take these things on board and, and maybe not to the letter, but to the standard that they're speaking to us, which is to care for one another in a better way. So um, again, any questions, don't hesitate to get in touch with me, email me, give me a phone call, whatever. I'm more than happy to talk further about this stuff, but let me just pray. And um, yeah, I, I, I hope that, that what I've said today kind of makes sense. I know I'm trying to cover a lot of material in a very short amount of time. Um, and I'm not doing these chapters justice, but one of these days we we should probably go through um, go through the book verse by verse uh, and take a couple of years to do it. But for today, that's what it is. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you for um, for your word. I thank you that that you were bold enough to say that all the law, all the prophets, all scripture hang on two commandments: that we should love God with all our heart with all our mind, with all our strength, and with all our soul, and that we should love our neighbor as ourselves. And when you said neighbor, you meant our, to include our enemy because you said that very specifically elsewhere. So we are to love God and we're to love everybody else. And, and if we're doing that, we're not going to stray far from, from kingdom morality and kingdom standards. And I appreciate the fact that, that you were willing to show us in in the way you lived and in your 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 um, talk, speaking and teaching, that the law that we have, the moral law that we have set before us, um, at times needs to to bend um, for the sake of love, and at times needs to actually become more rigid and more of a high standard. So, um, teach us how to do that well, without doing it arbitrarily, without doing without doing. Um, erring on the side of either moral absolutism or moral relativism, that we would seek you wholeheartedly. We would learn from you how to love one another well and to love you well. Uh, and, and in that, live our lives uh, as demonstrations of your kingdom. Help us, Holy Spirit. We trust you to guide, to convict, and to teach us. Help us not to judge others where we see someone falling short of what we think should be the standard, but to, to have understanding and compassion and grace um, and conversation, two-way conversation, not accusing conversation, but um, trying to gain understanding because understanding is the way of love. Uh, yeah, help us to love one another well. Thank you so much for Resound. Thank you for the way they love one another. Thank you that during this time of isolation, that there is um, connection, that there is a maintained sense of, 
of whatever community can be uh, in our society and in our individualistic society and in this time of, of COVID where we are even more separated from one another. Thank you that there is a standard of community that is exemplified in Resound that I really appreciate. And I pray that you would just raise that even further, raise the bar on that further. Let us draw closer to one another in love and compassion and understanding. And let us demonstrate that love to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you guys. Thanks for listening to what's probably a very long and scattered 